This is Thomas with 3-7 Ventures. I want to invite you to the fight, the fight against human trafficking. Join this fight alongside our friends at Fight Coffee, an organization that puts 100% of its profits into stopping the traffic of human beings. Join the fight by joining them. Order your coffee from Fight Coffee. Go to fightcoffee.org now. Our topic today is driving with clarity. This is a part of a larger series on moving from commitment to completion. You may have heard some of your leaders talk about things in this space, probably heard them talk about differentiating between impact and activity. And the reality is if you're talking about something like partnerships and it's something ambiguous, this is something that you absolutely have to get this right. I will say, Chris, I expect to hear a lot from you today. Uh, If you haven't listened to our episode on strengths, go back and listen to our episode on strengths. Uh, But Chris, Chris, we a superpower as a relator. And so very often as we're talking about things from a 3-7 perspective, Chris is the one raising his hand saying, what does this all amount to? And putting himself in the in the place of, of our customers. Um, so if you have a Chris, uh, I expect our Chris to be vocal. And if you have a Chris in your organization, I'll encourage them to, uh, to listen to you and inspire conversations like these. As we think about this, there's a couple of things that are going to be really important. And so we want to spend some time talking about how do you drive to clarity for what really the objective is? What does it look like to drive alignment to the right activity? And at the end of the day, what do you think about in terms of what you're going to measure and how you're going to measure it? So Chris, maybe you can tee us off here with what drives that conviction? What's the what's the tingling in the back of your neck that makes you raise your hand in the middle of a meeting and say, this sounds like a lot of stuff, but I'm not sure it's going to do any good? I think it's all born out of having a, a strong resistance to doing stuff that I don't believe is going to do a lot of good, right? And so uh, whether that's me or for somebody else, you know, I'm just, I'm attuned to those things, you know, but if I'm trying to build a program around it, and I really think there's three things that people always need to consider. You know, the first one is understanding who you're dependent on for success. You know, I've been in a lot of rooms where people make a lot of grand plans that required other people to do things without really thinking about what it's going to take to get their buy-in, what they're going to have to do for success. They think more about what's possible and what they want to achieve than how they're going to achieve it. And then aligning with those people and what success means for them, like their picture of success and your vision for the business have to align. Otherwise you're inevitably going to run into blocks. And we can talk about that later today. And then lastly, identifying the waypoints or the roadmap for success, especially when it's not a straight line. You've all been in meetings where you have a revenue goal and because nobody said otherwise, everyone's expecting a linear path to hit that target. And you feel like you're coming from behind. But if the strategy was always, we have to put these things in place and then we're going to get there. You have to map that out because people aren't just going to accept, just trust me, we'll see success later. You have to define up front what success looks like along the way so you can track to that and keep everybody in the boat. You know, so I think my empathy for people not doing stuff that isn't a good use of their time comes from me having a really strong reaction against doing stuff that doesn't feel like a good use of my time. And so I just naturally am always looking for those things. But when I'm building out a plan, I'm always thinking about three things. The first one is understanding who I'm dependent on for success. I think we've all been in a lot of meetings where there is a vision for what has to be accomplished. It's clear who needs to do it. And there's even talks about what's going to be done to ensure they can do it, but not really thinking about who those people are and the specifics of what they have to do to get there. And so that takes me to the second point, which is aligning what success means for those individuals to success for the business. Because if that person's key measures and objectives and the actions they have to take aren't prioritized in the same way as what the vision is, you're going to run into blocks. And then lastly, identifying the 
waypoints or the roadmap, especially when it's not a straight line, right? And so if in order to get to success, we have to put some things into place, which means we're going to start slowly, or it might even look like we're going in a different direction at first. If it's not clear to everyone that this is the strategy, this is the way it's going to look, then people are going to try to follow that straight path and you might not get where you're headed. Uh, an analogy I like to give is if, if you've ever been on an airplane flying across the Atlantic and you're watching that little map of the plane, you'll see the plane looks like it's arching over the North Pole as opposed to just cutting straight across. If you don't understand why it's doing that, it might feel like you're taking a longer route. And so you see that same thing in business where people want to take a straight line, they expect a straight line. And unless it's clear why you're not going in a straight line, people are, are going to be nervous and that's going to cause friction along the way. So Chris, what I'm hearing from you is very often, even right out of the gate on aligning on an initiative, aligning on a project, the foundation isn't in place for those things to be successful, which is probably a pretty good segue from our last topic around leading through obstacles. It, unless you have those things, the train isn't on the tracks, even though you might think yeah, that it is. Exactly. Even though you might think that it is. It's where oftentimes we see people have measures that are backwards looking, right? So they have performance measures instead of leading indicators, and they're looking at where they happen to be. And then they're constantly having a conversation about why we're off plan, which to go back to that, if you weren't clear what the plan was, if it's not a straight line, you're always going to look at those performance indicators and feel like you're off track. I really love that phrase, leading indicators. And I think we use it interchangeably with performance indicators and KPIs, the P being performance, it gets leaned into. But the concept of being a leading indicator, I think is really powerful. You know, we can go through an objective setting motion. We can do it on an annual basis or when we kick off a project or we kick off a partnership and we can set those performance indicators. But if we lose sight that they're actually meant to be signposts as indicators of the direction that we're going going and we're just trying to beat that performance indicator clock, we can lose the glue of that connectedness of that, of what the objective is, you know, the why of what we're doing, what we're doing. So Emily, I, I think that's an interesting focus area and it's an area where they're just, we get confused. We either get confused because we're not being thoughtful about looking at leading indicators or we're obsessing over leading indicators and not actually thinking about what do they attribute to. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The concept of having faith in hitting the goal and having indicators or or trusted data sources or friends that tell you, yeah, you're on your way toward the goal. And we all know in business that having faith in where we're going is just not enough. And so the importance of getting those those indicators set correctly and looking at them in the right frame frame of mind is key. It's a key to getting there. Yeah. And I think it's really, really easy not to be grounded in a real set of objectives. It's easy to have somebody hand you a number and not really understand how does that number contribute what we're trying to drive towards as a business. And so I, I think this is something we run into as we're talking through this, the, the partnership motion, because it's really easy to focus on a lot of different aspects of partnership. It's easy to focus on the partnership scorecard. It's easy to focus on driving to some specific part of the financial performance or the revenue number or the usage number without being able to up-level and look at the big picture to say, you know, this is how we're trying to scale. This is how we're trying to drive the company to a different level. So I know a lot of times our conversations come back to how can we, how do we need to think through what the objective is? What is it actually that we're trying to drive to? And I'm curious for each of you, you know, maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a couple of examples of, you know, where you've seen that as we've been having conversations with clients and, you know, why was it significant? 
I have a fun one that, that actually I'm having a lot of fun working with this client. I think we all are. This is an organization that has always seen revenue as true North Star, and they have some super star sellers in this organization who year after year come to bat, they hit the home run. And as they've grown, and they're a really sizable organization, and the amount of superstar sellers that they can count on is, is remarkable in and of itself. But as they continue to grow, and they want their partnership-oriented selling to be more reliable, more sizable. They want to show up for their clients in that regard. It's really the first time that their senior sales leader is saying, man, I need to I need to be telling my team what activities they need to do in their sale, selling world to get to that revenue objective. And seeing that trickle up and down their organization from, from newer salespeople who are you know new to new, new to their program and, and maybe have come from a background where they're metriced and their activities are monitored. And they see this freedom of man, I just am gonna go swing for the fences and hit my goal and see you know, see if the less seasoned sellers on their team and their sales managers or their sales leadership kind of collide in terms of saying, oh yeah, we do. We we need some guidance on activities because we need those activities to be ongoing to actually get this new partner selling motion to be part of what we do, you know, part of the walk that we walk every day. It's It's been really, really fun to see them embrace the concept actually like Heisman, the concept at first, and then embrace it. And, and now that we've got those metrics dialed in correctly, in their, their few, in their exact, for, the, for those to be an important part of their success conversations. And it actually is a place where they're able to drive trust in their process and trust in, you know, in their revenue engine because they believe in a metric, they know it's the right one, and they know, you know, they, they know that those achieving the metric know that if they do it, it's going to be transformational within the company. Those are really fun metrics to be working around right now. I'm just, I'm having all these flashbacks to uh, conversations that I've had over the years from a sales perspective, thinking about the different ways to take apart the machine to get to the... <laughs> the end result, but not in the way that it was intended. You know, the metric was intended to drive a certain behavior and I sort of prided myself on finding a way to to get through the path without, you know, driving that objective. I can remember one time we were trying to drive this specific metric and it was about a certain number of solutions that were in a marketplace. And we figured out that we could sell a free solution and <laughs> drive marketplace wins <laughs> with a free solution. Uh, so you were literally calling down customers, offering them a free solution so we could get, you know, a number of marketplace ones. And it met the definition, but at the end of the day, it didn't drive the revenue objectives that we were trying to drive. And you could argue that, you know, that was the intention, but just what I'm hearing from you, Emily, and what really resonates is part of anytime you're driving transformation, part of transformation is did you get to the destination? Part of it is, did you really learn the art of all of the ingredients and how you put those ingredients together? to get to that, to get to that end outcome. <laughs> yes, very, very much so. The end outcome is the important part. Yeah. 
That story reminds me of the people that are really good are always going to be able to just hit the ground and run. And so, you know, when you think about what is, what are the right measures? What's the right governance? How do you set this up? There's a piece about who are you working with? And then there's a piece about how transformative is what you're trying to do, right? And so you give that example, Emily, where these, we've got these incredible sellers. You can just give them the objective and they're going to go make it happen. It reminds me of a client we had a while back where they really wanted to transform the way they were selling to move from being transactional sellers to be more consultative, right? And so we were running these Microsoft assessments and there was clear data and evidence on how you run this assessment. You understand what their needs are. You can sell them more. You have bigger deals. You have a clear trajectory on what you're going to sell over the next three years. You know, you can build this whole flow. And so it's going to be a little bit slower now, but you're going to have a bigger return and you're going to have an easier return in the, in the future. And so people would buy into the idea, but then when it came time to execute, the delayed gratification was tough both for those individuals and for the organization because at the same time the organization was saying, yes, we want to do this. They were coming back and saying, but where's your number for this month? And so they're stuck in the middle of that. Well, I thought we agreed we were going to run these assessments and we were going to build these relationships. And so that's where we talk about what you measure. Is it the number? Yes, there's always a measure of the number, but there's also this activities. Are you doing the activities that we all agreed are going to lead to success? Which at the end of the day, unless you have that, everyone's not going to be rowing in the same direction. And that that is really, when you think of the power of a partnership, when you think of who is an influential partner executive, the influential executives are the ones that can make a commitment, can shake hands and say, hey, we're going to do this. And then influence their organizations to all go in that same direction. Outside of that, it's just a handshake and a, here's something that would be nice if it if it all worked out. And I know, Emily, you've, you've lived in an organization that was brilliant at that. And so I don't know if you have any ninja best practices for our listeners, but I'd be curious on your perspective on, you know, how, what was it? What was the secret sauce that allowed you guys to all row in the same direction? Well, you know, I think taking a page out of good to great and that premise of facts over fantasies where Jim Collins isolated that great companies need to develop a culture where brutal truth is heard. And that to me, when you're able to, you know, to make the handshake on a commitment and deal for the next year with the brutal truth of how we're attaining it. And if we're doing what we said we were going to do in order to make that handshake, make good on that handshake and be able to celebrate it, that you you need to be able to have a way that brutal truth enters the conversation. And so organizing metrics so that everybody who's in the boat is doing something that propels the boat forward from their seat. You know, if they're in the four seat and that is delivery. They know exactly how they're going to embrace technical enablement so that the sales seat, seat two, can be delivering workshops that you know propagate a string of projects and financial backing to 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 get those sold. And so it is really you know understanding behind that handshake that everyone who's getting in line has something that they're doing that's measurable that they can actually contribute to. That was a big cause for success in that organization. And it sounds like there's a component of that that's being partner obsessed. And there's a component of that that's driving clarity about what actual impact looks <laughs> Yeah, like. I think I think, you know, there's no better testament to that than being in a partnership with a scorecard. And being in a partnership with a scorecard, being partner obsessed could look like a slave to the scorecard. Like this thing's gonna be green no matter what. We're gonna figure out a way to tinker our activities, tinker our, our reporting to make this green, and we're going to march down the aisle on it. The other point of view on scorecard is saying what sells on the scorecard matter. 
to delivering the unique value proposition that is the tenant that we built this partnership on, that we're doing this together. And being really clear in the partnership what elements of that scorecard are going to matter and they matter if they're red, yellow, or green and what ones you're going to ignore. So, you you know, the the other side of the fence, knowing what pieces you're going to ignore and agreeing to that by consent or otherwise is super important to successful partnerships as we see them. Yeah, I'm having this horrible flashbacks to people coming to me in the organization wanting partners to measure 287 metrics. And so for sure, there is going to be a set of things you aren't going to be able to to tackle. I have to admit, I'm probably more of a tinkerer, <laughs> uh, which is probably probably a fault. Probably a more of I want it all to be green. I want to be able to to say that. But to your point, that may not always is not. We'll just proclaim it. It is not driving towards the greatest possible impact on the organization. The other thing that comes up as you talk through that part of the equation is that oftentimes when we talk about a scorecard, it's not usually a joint. And so it's really, really easy to be in a place where you're looking at things with a scorecard from one point of view. You're looking at things, most of the time it's through your point of view. as a partner leader. This is what we are hoping to achieve from this partnership. And I've seen a lot of conversations that are so obsessed. They're so focused on one side of the story that there really isn't even an understanding of what the impact looks like on the other side. Chris, do you do an amazing job at tuning into these situations? You do it inside the 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 walls here at at 37 when you're looking at, you know, us show up on even our weekly calls around our objectives, but you do it within partnerships where you bring it back to the mat and you say, "Right, is this working for for the both of us?" Mm-hmm. What are some of your, you know, what are some of the signposts that you read that cause you to question that when you see people maybe having a tendency to take the scorecard or the objectives back to the workshop and try to color them green. Well, I mean, I think it starts with a conviction in the plan and the measures that we set forth, right? And so if we all agreed that success is to move through these sets of points and that we're going to know that we're successful when it looks like this. And then if we're going along that path and I just see people not not bought into it, whether it's they're not updating their status and the status sheet, they're not coming to the meeting prepared, they're not seeming bought into what we're considering to be successful along the way, that tells me that something's missing. Because if everybody is bought into the vision and the goal, but they're not bought into what we're doing day in and day out to get there, there's a disconnect somewhere. And we got to understand what that disconnect is to get to the heart of the problem. Let's talk about measuring activity. Because I think it's easy to say we have to focus on impact. Impact is important. Don't spend time on activity that doesn't matter. And yet, as we talked about, being able to ensure that everybody swims in the same direction often means focusing in on activity. And so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on what creates the scenario. What are the types of activities that do make sense to lean in and measure? And what does that look like as we're driving transformation and change across our clients? I think what it is, is always going to change, right? So you have the key performance measures. You have the indicators that says, no matter what we're doing, if we don't see these things, then we're not on track. And then below that, there's a lot of room for flexibility on what success is. You know, it's based on what what needs to happen this week. What are the obstacles we're facing? What are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? You know, Emily, you had brought up before this idea of it's as important to think about what you should stop doing 
as it is to think about what you need to do next. Uh, and we see that all the time. I'd say the other one I see often is when people get stuck in that analysis paralysis and they we can't agree that our next step is going to be X. And so we're just going to keep going down this road. And then when they continue down the road that everybody agreed was problematic in the first place, people become disenfranchised and they, they just lose their investment in the initiative. Uh, and then you see things stagnate at that point as well. I love Stop Doing Indicator. And I first tripped across that from Vern Harnish um, in Scaling Up. And the Stop Doing Indicator is actually a great place when you're struggling to, to set meaningful objectives. Because if we look at each other as a team and we're saying, hey, when we sell those kind of deals or we deliver in this manner, it doesn't work for us. The Stop Doing Indicator tells us what to obviously what to stop doing, but it tells us what we're opening time and space up to do and allows us to channel into, okay, of the world of time that we've just opened up or effort of that we've just opened up by things we're going to stop doing. What are the key important things for us to do? And then we can, then we have a good anchor for some performance metrics. By the way, really, really fun with your teams, people leaders, when you can get to the place where you can say, here's the set of things we're going to stop doing that are wasting our time. Um, A ton of energy that can be captured there. Well, I was just going to say on that, that idea of stopping, there's a, a thread through all this that we've been talking about, which is trust, right? And so especially when you're introducing a scorecard and your people are seeing the accountability that comes with a scorecard, to be able to go into meetings and say, is this working for us? Are we meeting the objective that we intended? And if we're not, let's change because none of us are here to do things just for the sake of doing things. You build a lot of relational equity when you can own the process and, and own an intent to get to the outcome and not just be stuck in the process that we agreed to, right? And so if we say we're going to meet every week because we're going to look at these things, And then you find that that's just turning into routine of looking at these things and it's not driving outcomes. It's not changing actions. It's not changing what somebody does coming out of that meeting. The person leading that meeting, the person that set that objective in the first place has to be the one to say, is this working for all of us or not? Is it helping us make better decisions? I like that. My take's a little bit different. I think that you have to look at what you're trying to transform and you need to figure out what are those areas that are gaps and what are those areas that are that are strengths. And when you can can identify those key scalable repetitive areas where you know if you're able to find your we'll call it your you know your formula for success, those are the points where you have to dig in and drive the measurement. And when you're at that place where you know that if we do 2000 of these things, we're going to have a predictable outcome. That's where you can start to drive the efficiencies across the organization. The efficiencies of driving standardization by measuring the the activity. And so I I think so often we get caught up in the tangle of the customization and can we do something over and over again? The reality is when you figure out that formula for success and you're able to say, we're going to go do this a a whole lot of times as we scale, you find the efficiencies. They're inherently there. So I think that brings us to our key takeaways for today. Yeah, I'd say my key takeaway, Chris, Chris, you just said it was in you know in performance management the person owning the objective setting has to take the responsibility to recognize when the objective or the performance metric isn't working for the team and and adjust i think that that's uh, that's really powerful to to recognize yeah. I'd say recognize that the path to success is never a straight line, you know, especially when you look across the individuals that need to play a role uh, in that transformation across the business. And so establishing a roadmap or what does that line look like, identifying the leading indicators 
not how are we going to look at data and have a conversation of why we're not where we want to be, but how are we going to look at the data and say we're off track and we should make adjustments and then resolve to hold the line against those indicators. And I think that's where businesses really struggle. They set a plan, they set the indicators, and then they have reservations for one reason or another, and they pull back too soon. What are you taking us home with, Eric? I think... And it didn't hit me here till the end, but it's this idea that this is a great opportunity from a leadership perspective to drive simplicity. And so we have to ask ourselves what really matters from an objective perspective. And then what are the core activities that if we get those right, we get it 80% of the way, right? Let everything else fill in, but this is a great opportunity to drive simplicity. We want to thank our audience for tuning in. We appreciate you being here weekly as as we progress this conversation. We invite you to like, share the content on LinkedIn, and join us again next week.